welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I want to talk about setting eating disorder recovery goals for 2023. Now, of course, you can set goals at any point in time. And I think it's just really important to say that. I think sometimes we feel so much pressure to jump on the new year bandwagon. And really, you can change, you can work on yourself, you can set goals at any point. But I guess this episode is for anyone who's thinking that they may wish to set some goals, but I want it to be very non-pressured. So new year can be as good a time as any to get refocused, to think about where you're going, thinking about your health, thinking about your life, thinking about how you want things to be looking for yourself. And especially when the world around you might be luring you down the diet culture goal route, you know, all these kind of new plans and six week promises, etc. It's very, very seductive, particularly if you've had a bit of a difficult Christmas or you feel like you've struggled with food over Christmas, you might be very seduced by, you know, signing up for one of these plans and setting goals around health and fitness in a very sort of diet culture driven way. But this can be a really great time to step aside from all of that and get strongly rooted in your own lane and decide about the future you want. And you don't want to be procrastinating recovery or putting it off until some day. I think this is something we can all be really guilty of. Because we know that eating disorders can rob weeks, months, and ultimately years of your life. You can't get back your teenage finding your identity phase with the fun and experimentation, or your 20s when you're growing up and finding yourself, maybe traveling or doing further education or first jobs, meeting people and growing as a person. Having an eating disorder can massively impact the quality of your relationships, affects your career path, ultimately your potential and what you do with your life. Because having an eating disorder, of course it is a coping strategy, but it's like having a millstone around your neck, which you're dragging with you. So it really stunts your growth, numbs your feelings, sucks your identity away and makes so much of a smaller life. And I know a lot of my clients will describe that when they look back at the time when they were in the midst of their eating disorder, they can't really remember so many things. It's almost as though they're a bit dissociated, almost in a bubble, a bit separate from life. Nothing really felt real in the same way. Now, of course, everyone's experience is going to be slightly different. But I think most of you that are listening will probably agree that an eating disorder does compromise your life significantly. So how to even begin to embrace some recovery goals. So I'm going to give you seven tips to think about when thinking about recovery goals. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is number one, having extraordinary focus and dedication to recovery. Now, how I wish that recovery was simply turning up for an hour a week of therapy or finding the perfect therapist or coach to guide you along the road to healing. Sadly, it's not. I so wish it was. Recovery from an eating disorder is often a life overhaul because the eating disorder is like a weed that has tangled roots running through every minute of your day. 
So it's not just about the food, although it might be a lot about food in your body. It impacts your relationships, your worth, the way you care for yourself and how you show up in the world. And it can feel really overwhelmingly scary to face up to this because it can feel as well such a huge responsibility to change. And you might even wonder like, where do I possibly begin? And you might be terrified because it's almost like letting go of a life raft that's keeping you afloat. So I'm saying it's a life overhaul and a lot down to you, but of course, therapy or other support from loved ones or professionals can be and is often a necessary and vital part of the journey. So you haven't got to go it alone, but ultimately it is your recovery and your journey. You can't recover for anyone else because that's probably only gonna be a temporary stepping stone. Sometimes I get it, sometimes for some people they need to recover for someone else first, perhaps that's gonna get them going, but ultimately you really, really need to do it for you. So the thought of taking responsibility for recovery and dedicating this focus and time to it, it can feel terrifying, but it also can be so empowering. You might not realize it yet, but you have so much wisdom inside of you. And part of the problem for many of us is that we're spinning so fast and we've been so distracted with food and body image and doing all the things that we're doing in life that we haven't really even had a chance to tune in to that wisdom that we all have. But by slowing down, by committing time and energy to recovery, by setting some boundaries, and saying no to some other parts of your life, you can begin to carve out some healing time. And you will be amazed what is possible when you give recovery some real focus. So have a think, what could be your first baby step to carving out more time for recovery? How could you make recovery more of a priority? How could it become more of a primary focus rather than something that's just going on in the edge of your life that you're trying to fit around everyone else and everything else. And I guess what's so important with this is it's giving yourself permission in a way to really give yourself time and energy for recovery because it is hard. But when you really invest in the process, when you really decide this is what I wanna do, this is where I want to channel my energy and it's gonna be imperfect, it's gonna be bumpy, but just making that decision can be incredibly empowering. Okay, so that was number one. Number two, get very clear on your life goals and values. Now, I don't think that anyone wants to be remembered at their funeral for losing weight and doing it well. But often we are leading our lives with a dedication, time and focus on this goal as though it was our highest value. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? We've all been there, I think, various times, so easy to slip into that hole. So as human beings, it can be very, very challenging to live a value aligned life because we're pulled in lots of different directions. We have expectations thrust on us by society and by our well-meaning family, friends and ourselves. And often we might even be climbing a ladder which is leant against the wrong wall. Now to help get clarity on your values, you can think about what would really matter to you now if you had only a year left to live. What would you be doing with your time? Who would you be spending time with? What hobbies or activities would you do? Where would you travel or want to go and see? 
and what would you be doing with your work time or study? Now, when we narrow our focus down in this way, all the unimportant parts of life just disappear and we suddenly understand what truly brings meaning to us and what doesn't. And when we think about our life in this way, we are much less likely to care what others think and really get much more aligned with what matters most. So this is really connecting more with our heart. You know, what our heart really wants, what really sets us on fire, makes us feel alive, rather than societal or anyone else's expectations. Now, of course, you don't want to wait until you're in that situation, you know, where you have so little time left. You want to refocus now and tune in to what it is that you really want. Even if you have no idea how to achieve it or even take the first step, just be honest with yourself and saying things out loud or writing them down can be so empowering. Now, I know this has been so true for me on my journey. I will look back at old journals from 20 years ago (laughs) and so many of my goals were aligned with doing things that I'm finally doing today. It took me a while to get here, but it was so helpful to have that kind of vision. And I had no idea how I was gonna get here. I really didn't, but I somehow believed it was possible and that I would find a way and it was hugely helpful. So get a journal and write down what you really want for your life. Think about if you've only got a year to live. Think about your health, your relationships, your work and study, your hobbies, your fun and adventure, finances, spirituality, and whatever else is important for you to include. Banish all shoulds, but focus in on your own wants and desires and give yourself permission to step fully into your own power. Moving on to number three, surround yourself with encouragers and uplifters. Now we cannot do recovery on our own. Recovery isn't easy. You need people around you who make you feel good. And this might be your family, but it might not be. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes the people that we would like to be our supporters cannot be this. And it can be very disappointing and frustrating. However, by acknowledging the truth here, it frees you up to really tap into support that is going to be helpful. And the key here is noticing how you feel when you are around particular people. Do you feel uplifted, accepted, loved, believed in? Because even having one or two people in your life who can do this for you can massively help your self-belief and ability to make changes. And I know for me personally, people that have believed in me have had a huge impact on my life, healing and personal development. If you're predominantly around people who sap your energy or criticise or berate you or put you down or offload all their problems all of the time without being Without there being balance and mutual sharing, then no wonder that you're finding the prospect of change difficult. So you need to distance yourself from the drainers and spend more time with the uplifters and encouragers. And this translates to social media too. If you're focusing on material that is impacting your thoughts in a negative way and causing you to obsess more with the eating disorder behaviors, then you need to block, mute or unfollow. 
and to replace your feed with uplifting and supportive accounts that are going to fuel your journey with positive energy and healing. And I'd say for this as well, of course, things like intuitive eating, body positive, body neutral accounts are massively helpful. But also I'd really encourage you as well on social media, just to seek out different areas that interest you that are completely non-food and body related. You know, is it travel? Is it cats? Is it some kind of arts or craft? Start to fill your thoughts and mind with some of these different things, so helpful. So have a think about the five people in your life at the moment you consider to be your closest people. And do a really honest audit of these relationships. Are they supportive or not? And if they're not supportive, is it possible to make a change? Is it possible to have some communication, maybe set a boundary? And you don't need to banish people from your life, but I think boundaries really are your friend here. You know, if there's a particular person in your life that you're spending a lot of time with and is not supporting you or helping you just with your sort of personal development and is not making you feel good about yourself, you need to just really think about that relationship and if it would be helpful to put some boundaries in place. Do the same as well for your social media feed and be ruthless in the preservation of your own mental health. I would say to my clients, no one else is going to protect your mental health. You need to fiercely protect it. And um, you know, the world is infinitely demanding, but you have the power to put some boundaries in place. So step into that power. Number four, it's a grieving process, saying goodbye to an eating disorder, and that's okay. Now saying goodbye to your eating disorder can feel like letting go of an old friend, maybe a toxic friend, who sometimes will be there and supporting you through but ultimately a friend that is not going to enhance your life for the long term. For everything it gives, it also takes away. Now having said this, taking the different fork in the road can bring grief. Grief for the identity that the eating disorder gave you. Grief for the focus and distraction it offered. Grief for what is safe and known and truly yours. Grief for the praise you received from the outside world when engaging in ED behaviours although inwardly you are likely battling with yourself. For example, say if you're an influencer and you're highly validated for your physique, even though there are so many personal costs and people don't realize what's going on behind the scenes. It's okay to grieve though. It's part of the healing journey. It's part of the process to go through and your brain will often be nostalgic or idealize the past and you'll probably remember the good bits with longing whilst brushing over all the ways the ED has held you back. The important thing here though is to recognize this for what it is. Rose-tinted nostalgia is not the whole truth and as human beings, we're so vulnerable to this with anything, you know, any kind of like relationship that we're grieving or um, I don't know, we might look back to a particular event in our past. You know, sometimes we can really like zoom in on the whole thing with rose-tinted glasses and we don't really remember the whole picture. But by letting go of something that is ultimately toxic and holding you back, you're making space for newness and freedom and much better self-worth. And I think people are often scared about the unknown and I think our brains can often just be really in that fear place and we can think, oh my goodness, change is going to be worse or something I can't control or I can't handle. I mean, you might not be able to control it. But change sometimes can be exciting and inspiring and adventurous and freeing. 
you know, change is not to be feared. A lot of wonderful things can come from change. So embrace change. So reflect on your common thought patterns that fuel the unhelpful nostalgia of the eating disorder. Are there old photos that you're holding on to? Are there memories that you're getting stuck in which don't truly reflect the whole picture? So be frank and honest with yourself so you can create some emotional distance from the old ways of thinking. The next one, number five, is believe and have certainty. Now when stuck in the depths of an eating disorder, you can feel hopeless and overwhelmed. Change can feel impossible and out of reach. And you might have become resigned to the thought of living with an eating disorder forever. And you can get stuck in this place. And it is immensely challenging when you get stuck in that helpless place to then pursue the exits towards recovery. But believe and work on developing an inner certainty that change is possible. And it is possible for you. Start to shift your identity towards that of someone who is recovering and healing and who will ultimately be ED free. You are not beyond help. Many people have recovered who have experienced hugely challenging life situations. And many people before you have walked this tumultuous path, cannot say that word, tumultuous. (laughs) You are no different. With the right support, help and encouragement, you can change. And I found this quote yesterday, um, which I have written in my journal, and it's from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And it says, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. I love that quote. And I think extraordinary as well. It doesn't have to mean conventionally successful in society's terms, like money, fame, etc. I think about the numerous people who have guested on my podcast who have waded from the deep trenches of an eating disorder into a space where they are healing and supporting others in the most profound, caring and wonderful ways every single day. It's so inspiring and change is possible for you too. So believe and have certainty. Think about you in eating disorder recovery and how you would be spending your days. How would you be living your life? What would you be doing if you had the identity of someone who is recovering? Who would you be talking to? What would you be reading or watching? How would you prioritise your time? So sometimes the whole thought of changing our identity, having more belief and certainty can feel so scary, but we just have to start with those baby steps. And it's just thinking like, you know, what would the recovering version of me look like? What would they be doing? And take a baby step and then you step into that place and then you have some evidence. I have done something that has taken me on a different road. And then you get some feedback from your environment. You know, maybe it's a positive step. You manage it, you gain more confidence and you can take the next step. And that's how we start to slowly slowly shift our identity and to have more belief and certainty. Number six, Be vulnerable with your inner circle. Now in my own recovery journey, opening up to one or two of my closest friends was invaluable. And it wasn't always talking about specific eating disorder behaviors. I recognize, I think this is sometimes quite hard to do. And you know, it's great sometimes if you can do it with someone who really gets it on that deeper level. However, it's about talking about life, you know, talking about feelings talking about messy relationships, feeling left out, feeling not good enough, trying to find out who you are. 
exploring childhood experiences, reflecting on why you might struggle with certain things. I know for me, definitely with one of my closest friends who's still a great friend today, it was a real reciprocal sharing experience. It wasn't one-sided and we had different phases probably where one of us was probably sharing more than the other, but really in the longer term it balanced out. And that is an incredibly close friendship because of this friend of mine just knows me inside out and knows all the things that I've really struggled with, you know, d- you know, knows the deeper bits really. And that brings such a level of trust, acceptance, connection, and just feeling really seen and validated. And we are so craving that as human beings. Now, I appreciate as well that not everyone listening to this is naturally drawn to psychological understanding or reflection. Generalizing though, I think that many people with eating disorders are hugely empathetic, sensitive souls souls with a deep sense of caring and compassion. And underneath the layers that you protect yourself with, there is likely a significant part of you that longs to be understood, accepted, heard, and truly validated for who you are. And you might not always be able to get this from your family, but you can choose your friends. And there are many people out in the world who are also craving this close connection and to be fully seen for who they are. Being open and vulnerable may not always feel safe or comfortable or familiar, perhaps due to your early environment and how conducive this was to enable vulnerability. But I promise you that with trusted and supported people, vulnerability is a life changer. And once you start to open up, you will realize that you are truly not alone. We are all walking life's messy path of imperfection. And your confidants may not struggle with eating issues, but they will have other struggles and the deeper pain is often similar. And I think it's just, I'm thinking about kind of self-compassion and the shared humanity aspect um, of sort of self-compassion work and realizing that actually, I think we often feel so lonely in our struggles, but as human beings, we experience many of the same struggles deep down. We experience many of the same difficult feelings. You are not alone. You may feel alone, but actually when you start to open up and to share the reality of what is going on in your world, you're going to feel so much more connected and realize as well that you've probably been holding yourself to an impossible level of perfection. And I think when we're trying to do that, It's so isolating because in terms of what you present to the world and then how you feel genuinely inwardly, there's such a sort of gap between those two and that just that leaves you with a really low feeling of of like incongruence and not feeling worthy. But actually when you start to bridge that gap, it's incredibly healing and helpful. So reflect on your inner circle now. Do you have someone with whom you can be very open with and who they can be open with you? And if yes, prioritize this relationship and spend more time together. And if you don't have this, this is the time to seek out others and take a baby step. Test the water with an initial friendly contact or message and try not to put too much expectation on any one relationship. If someone doesn't respond, it's probably not about you because people have busy lives and lots of conflicting commitments. However, there are many people out there who are longing for friendship and connection and openness and are waiting to meet someone just like you. So go for it, be brave, take that baby step with vulnerability. And number seven, the baby steps add up to a big deal. Anyone that listens to this podcast will know that I'm always going on about this. 
I remember in my own recovery, just feeling overwhelmed with where to start. I had bulimia through my late teens and into my 20s, and I certainly couldn't tackle everything in one go. And sometimes you need to break it down and focus on one thing that is going to help give you a leap forward with your progress. Now for me, a major turning point was stopping purging, or working on stopping purging, I should say. Of course, getting well from an eating disorder is much more than eliminating one behavior. However, this behavior for me was extremely detrimental and fueled further ginormous binges and restrictive eating. So addressing the purging had powerful ripple effects then on many other aspects of recovery and then on on my life too. Now, of course, it wasn't a perfect process by any means of deciding one day to stop and then it just happened. It was messy and imperfect. But every day that I didn't purge, I gained momentum and confidence in what was possible. Every day that I didn't purge, I had even more to lose from not going from going back. And I knew that just doing it once could potentially open the floodgates and it would be unlikely to be that just once. So I gained a lot of confidence in myself, in my ability to not purge, you know, the longer I went without doing it. And it was really messy. You know, I would have sort of phases at the beginning, probably where I'd just go for couple of days and then that might go to a week then I was go to 10 days and then I think I was even at a stage where I not got not purged for several months and then I had another relapse so it's really normal this is all part of the process so it was hard stopping purging it was an ingrained habit and it brought me relief that dopamine hit and a way of temporarily kind of cleansing out my negative emotions of course it didn't work properly you know it's maladaptive coping isn't it but stopping this stopping the purging it not only allowed me to save my teeth my health and what felt like an addiction to food as well it allowed me to tune into my body again and to start to deal with feelings more constructively and to value my worth in a broader way rather than through the eating disorder so yes it was messy yes it was hard absolutely it was worth it So that was my story, but you need to decide on your own goal. You know, you might not even be purging. You might have other behaviors that you're struggling with. It may be over-exercise or something, or taking laxatives, or maybe chewing and spitting. Is it more regular eating that you need to be focusing on and dedicating time and effort to some meal planning and maybe more self-care? Is it throwing out the weighing scales or beginning to reduce your frequency of weighing? Is it eating all your meals at a table and breaking free from mindless eating at the cupboard door? Is it planning in some self-care and journal time daily so you can reflect on your goals and values? What is it for you? I think there's no right or wrong way here with recovery. Everyone's on their own path. Everyone is doing it in their own way. And it's up to you to think about what's right for you. I'm just going to need to let my cat in, Bruce the cat, in you come, meowing very loudly. <laughs> Thank you, cat. I'm glad you approve. So, in summary, number one, extraordinary focus and dedication with setting your goals. Number two, get clear on your life goals and values. So think about, if you had a year to live, what would you be doing? Number three, surround yourself with encouragers and uplifters. You need people around you. Bruce really agrees with this as well. (laughs) You need people around you who really have your back, who believe in you, who can encourage you. Yes, I know, I agree. And number four, 
It's a grieving process and that's okay. You're gonna be seduced back into the eating disorder with those thoughts all the time. That's really normal. It doesn't mean you have to act on them though. I mean, you might act on them sometimes, then you need to be really forgiving of yourself. But you know, you're gonna be seduced by it. Number five, believe and have certainty. You know, once you believe, once you have a glimmer of hope that all is possible, it opens up doors. It will make your mind much more expansive about everything. Sorry, the cat just walked across the keyboard. Mr. Bruce, um, I have completely lost my thread. But yes, it's a grieving process. <laughs> that is very normal. Okay, and number five, Sorry, he's just like completely thrown all my text everywhere. Number five, I said that, believe in uncertainty. Number six, be vulnerable with your inner circle. So your inner circle, I'm talking about here, maybe one or two people, but it's so great if you can be really open and honest with a couple of people. Having people that have your back, that um, you can have reciprocal sharing with. Sorry, the cat is now scratching the duvet. <laughs> You're getting all the great sound effects, but I'm sure he's just really approving of all of this. <laughs> Number seven, the baby steps add up to a very big deal. So you've got to remember that, you know, if you just do micro changes, sustainable changes for the next year, you are going to be in such a different place by the time you go into 2024. Don't just try and overwhelm yourself with trying to change everything in the next six weeks. That is gonna be overwhelming, hugely challenging, and you're probably gonna retreat back because it just all feels too much. And I love the C.S. Lewis quote, which says, day by day, it seems like nothing changes. I'm saying this slightly wrong, I think. But when you look back, everything is different. So yeah, Dave, why is it that day by day, nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different? And that is so true. And I think myself, um, I've had some big changes in my life over the last couple of years, nothing to do with eating and body image, but some other kind of big things have gone on for me. And when I look back in the last couple of years and how much has changed and how much I've had to kind of really work on myself and dig deep and work on some things that have been really important to me, I really realized that a lot has changed and that is really inspiring and liberating. And, you know, I don't really know how I was gonna do some of these things, but um, I am on the road and you can be too. You know, once upon a time, I was in the depths of an eating disorder. That is not true anymore by a long way. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's given you some inspiration and thought for setting your 2023 recovery goals. That's if you want to make them. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. For further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. Just to say, I have got quite a long waiting list at the moment, so I won't be able to take anyone new on probably for at least 12 weeks. So just to make you aware of that. I do have an online course though. So if you kind of like my approach, you enjoy these podcasts, um, my online course has got 29 lectures, 25 videos, and um, covers loads of aspects of recovery. It's called 10 Steps Towards Intuitive Eating, but it's really very relevant for anyone that's recovering from disordered eating. But it's a great stepping stone. And if you would like to kind of work with me, but maybe I'm not gonna be available for a little while, but you want to get a taste of that, then please do go and seek out my online course. You can find that on my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk, and there is 75% off at the moment. So hope to see some of you there. And there's email support throughout as well with the course. 
Now, so many of you write me lovely emails and DM me on Instagram to say how much you are enjoying the podcast. I really, really appreciate that. If you're feeling brave, do write me a review because it does really help with the podcast going up the good old mental health Apple charts. And it means if it goes up the charts, more people listen, more people get support, more people can be helped. So it is really worth it. Anyway, thank you in advance for that. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.